Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Today, I am here with Josh Church, and he is going to share his remarkable story. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I purposely do not do a lot of research on my guest because I like to be surprised and uncover things just as the listeners do. So can you take us back to the beginning? What was going on in your life and what symptoms, if any, did you have? Yeah, so I was 15, uh, 15 years ago, I was 15. Uh, and I guess just a overview of the, of the beginning of the journey. So uh, I was on the football team in high school and had a, a real minor injury in practice, actually. Um, I, we were flipping these big tractor tires. I dropped it on my leg, ended up getting a, a real micro fracture. Probably would have healed on its own. Um, but uh, long story short, got that checked out. Um, second opinion, third opinion. Um, eventually, I'm at a um, orthopedic oncologist's office, and they gave me the diagnosis of osteosarcoma. Um, so, whoa, okay, yeah. we got back up. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I was figuring. Yeah. So, were you in pain? Like, why did you keep getting multiple opinions about the injury? Was it not healing? What was going on? Yeah. So, the the really at first, the only symptom was swelling. It's right below my knee. Um, so okay. my knee would keep swelling up and we couldn't figure out well, what was going on. Why is it swelling? It wasn't particularly painful, um, but just swelling. And we got uh, a brace you might get at the grocery store for the knee and figured that might help. And it didn't. So um, after the first opinion, um, they, they took an x-ray and there's this little spot on the bone below my knee. And I remember vividly verbatim, the doctor at the time said, if I was a betting man, I'd say that's nothing to worry about. Um, yeah. Or his exact words, <laughs> which <God>. was, yeah, <laughs> uh, great to hear. Um, but swelling didn't go away. We got another opinion, and, and that's when we found out. Okay. So, so the shadow he saw right there on the x ray was the tumor. It was. It was, yeah. Um, and then got a, a CAT scan and a, a PET scan later and, and found it that way. Wow. So you're 15 years old. Osteosarcoma does typically um, occur in younger people. And what, I mean, my gosh, you're so young. What were your thoughts about it? Yeah. I mean, I think that age for this was a blessing and a curse. Um, it, it was good in a way because I really didn't understand the gravity of the situation. Um, I didn't really grasp, uh, I didn't really have a grasp of my mortality, you know, of right. my health in the, in the bigger scheme of things. So uh, I was blissfully ignorant, I guess. I, you know, I was, I was very naive in the whole situation. I thought, well, just sickness, I'll be fine, um, which has turned out, you know, so far okay, but that's not <laughs> how that works. Um, what about your parents? My parents, um, I mean, as any parents would be, I think they're pretty shook up. Um, my, um, I was in the hospital for quite a while receiving treatments, uh, most days of the week for 
most weeks of the year. Uh, so my mom actually spent nights with me, almost every night in the hospital with me, slept on the couch, because um, I think it was really hard on her and my dad, but I'm the oldest child. So it was just, um, it was a lot for them. I, I think they, you know, as, as far as the mental or emotional piece of it, they struggled much more than I did, yeah. certainly. What was the treatment? Yeah, so it was, it was chemotherapy over the course of nine months. And uh, it was a series of three separate drugs. Um, okay. Two of which, and I, I remember two of the names, not the third, but two of the which went together. They were a combination treatment. And that particular combination would more or less knock me out for three to four days. Um, not a whole lot of consciousness for three to four days, which wow. looking back was pretty awful. Um, and then the third one, pretty mild, no nausea, um, no real side effects. Um, but that's all to say there were, there were three different chemotherapies over the course of nine months. And as probably all would agree, it was kind of rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it had to be inpatient. Yes. Yes. This was all very much inpatient. Um, I, I was, I want to say I was in the hospital, um, four days a week, almost, almost every week for nine months. Um, you know, very much the whole, wow. there was no break. Well, there was a small break right in the middle where I had a pretty extensive surgery to remove the tumor. Um, and I, I think we'll probably touch on this a little more, but the surgery itself replaced about three quarters of my tibia my knee and a bit of my femur. So about 16 inches now um, of my bone has been replaced with a titanium rod and joint. So that okay. broke up the chemo a little bit. So was the idea that you would do chemotherapy first because they wanted to shrink the tumor? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So they, they do surgery and um, how long was that surgery? The actual surgery was about, yeah. uh, if I'm recalling, it's about four and a half hours. Um, so there are wow. certainly longer it's ones. Not as long as was... I thought. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> not um, as long as I thought it would be. Um, did they get clear margins on that surgery? Yes, yeah, it was a success. Um, yeah, I, for the most part, you know, as far as removing the tumor and, and you know, the, the result, it was successful. Um, yeah. So why did you have to do however many more months, four or five more months of chemotherapy. So as I understand, um, and you may be familiar, osteosarcoma, once it metastasizes, it always goes to the lungs, which makes it extremely dangerous. So right. the thought was the tumor had shrunk significantly. They've removed it now surgically, um, but we're going to effectively double up the treatment to be safe, to get every last cell. Um, so. I believe it was mostly out of an abundance of caution. I mean, this was standard protocol, okay. but, but I think, um, to really <laughs> clean it out, um, you know, they wanted yeah. four more months. Okay. So where were you in school at this time when, when you got diagnosed, where were you in the school year and, and, you know, were you out of school for the entire year? What happened with schooling? Yeah. So that was. I was diagnosed the summer leading into my sophomore year of high school. Um, okay. So formative years, um, I realized after the fact. Um, but but uh, I did teach myself 
sophomore year of high school, uh, I, I had a, a part-time tutor about five to 10 hours a week that did help. Otherwise I was on my own. Um, fortunately I did pretty well in school, so, um, it wasn't, it could have been a lot worse. Um, but, and I think another silver lining is I went to school in a very small town, um, graduating class of about a hundred. So that's to say there was a little more slack, I think, um, a little mm -hmm. less red tape structure. So yeah, it, it was acceptable even in the first place to do such a thing, um, which again, very fortunate. So yeah, that, that's all to say. Were I, you able to go back to school your junior year of high school? I did. Person? I did. Yeah. You did. Wow. Wow. What was that like? That adjustment like? I mean, you'd been out of school a year. Yeah. Uh, I, and I did not expect until it happened. It was a huge adjustment. Um, just realizing the social cues and interactions that you learn as a 15 year old in a public schooling system to have missed that. Um, I mean, I was way behind the curve for a little bit there trying to catch up just socially. It, it was How just, so? I mean, can you, you think of a specific example? You come back to school and now I'm 16, everyone else is 16. I, I mean, first off, people are starting to drive or take driver's ed, which I wasn't able to do for a couple of years. But then even just the way people talk to each other or the jokes they made, uh, the references they made, the way that you would interact within a circle of friends, it just felt really different from basically freshman year, 14 years old to junior year, 16 right. years old. Um, it was a real noticeable difference um, that caught me off guard for sure. Did you, did you have close friends that were there with you from the beginning of it? I did have some close friends, um, but I found um, the hospital environment, the treatment, that whole atmosphere made a lot of people really uncomfortable. Um, which I, yeah, I understand. It does. Um, so, so, you know, as far as visitors or, you know, people spending time with me in the hospital, not at all, um, at home, when I was able to spend some time at home between treatments, um, or, you know, before and after surgery a little bit, um, did get, you know, a lot of company and a lot of supportive friends. Uh, so that was really appreciated, but I think, uh, you know, I was the, the receiving end of a lot of people feeling uncomfortable about the entire situation. That just drives me bananas. I have to tell you, I'm <laughs> like, screw uncomfortable. Uh -huh. You should be able to show up. Yeah. You know I... what I mean? You should be able to show up even, even at a young age. I mean, that's where those other kids need their parents support. Right. Exactly. But you should be able to show up. Exactly. I mean, I mean, cause that kind of interaction, it means a lot, um, to a 15 year old, literally, yeah. but also in development. I saw it. Yeah. it means a lot to be around people. Wow. How many surgeries did you have overall? Uh, overall, just the one, just the one, just the one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. They, wow. uh, they got it all, did everything they needed to do. Now I've since had it replaced, um, the, the entire implant, it did break. Um, but that's, oh, oh, okay. So tell us about that. That's yeah. what I meant. So, so oh, yeah, I yeah. expect, I thought you probably have more than one surgery in your leg at some point in your life. Um, so tell us about that. When, when did it break? What happened? Yeah. So, uh, really fun story. Uh, I had just, <laughs> just, um, moved out of my childhood town. I, I was born, went to school, got my job within all of a half hour of each other. So I just left my childhood home and I moved to a new city. Um, with my girlfriend at the time, striking out big, 
and we get to this new city. It's January of 2020. Uh, February of 2020, my implant breaks. It snaps um, more or less in half, which was expected at some point just from old age, wear and tear. Right. What um, were you doing? Anything at the time? I was walking back to my desk at work from the bathroom. Uh, just That's it. mid-stride. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was really jarring. Um, shocking. Did you know exactly what had happened? I did. I did. Um, you did. It was not like anything I'd ever felt. Um, yeah. And it, it was this just indescribable, well, it was really sharp pain right in the, you know, in my implant. I, there was nothing else it could have been than I knew. Um, right. And being the anxious, stressing person I am, they had originally given me a kind of a shelf life of um, 10 to 15 years. And so mm -hmm. now it was at about year 12. So every so often in the back of my mind, it started to play, getting close, okay. getting up there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so when it happened, I thought, yep, that's about right. <laughs> okay. So what was the surgery like? I mean, now you're you're still very young, but you're older. What was the surgery like to replace the implant, the titanium? Yeah, definitely different uh, this time around. So, I mean, the surgery itself was very similar. Uh, I'll say that I did benefit, I think, from a larger hospital system and slightly more advanced technology, mm -hmm. more about practices. So I, I did benefit yeah. from that. Um, but overall, a lot different because originally you're healing at a glacial pace because the chemotherapy is suppressing everything. Uh, mm -hmm. So this time around, uh, as a, relatively speaking, healthy person, uh, healed significantly faster, um, you know, a lot less pain throughout the whole way for the most part. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, you know, the original surgery, it's almost like the way I described it is I kind of had to relearn how to walk um, because mm -hmm. you've got all this new hardware in your leg and your joint um, and it's just a new learning process. And so this time, um, as opposed to originally having about a year and a half of physical therapy, I got pretty much back to full speed um, as I was before, uh, in less than six months. Um, so it was really, very, yeah, very That's grateful great. for that. Yeah. In fact, the, the night of my surgery, I have in the morning, I wake up later in the night. Uh, that night, that same night, a nurse comes in and wants me to take a lap around the floor. Uh, <laughs> Did you tell her to go to hell? Because I think I would have. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I politely declined. <laughs> it was a lot. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I did have to do it the next day, but that night, no way. No way. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> awful. Oh, my God. I was I not mean, I understand yet. why. They, they want you up. They yeah. want you ambulatory. They want that anesthesia to get out of your system as quickly as possible. But mm -hmm. still... Still, there's a limit. Come on. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, how do you think this experience changed the dynamic in your family with your parents? With you mentioned, you were the oldest. With your siblings. Yeah. Um, I mean, my parents were my entire immediate family was you know hit pretty hard. I think, especially my sister. I'll, I'll say my my only other sibling is a younger sister by five years. And so at that point when I was diagnosed, she was 10 and I think she was a kid. Yeah. Of, of anyone in the entire equation, she took it the hardest. 
Um, yeah. I mean, which I can imagine, you know, big brother has this life threatening illness. Uh, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what to do. You can't do anything. So, um, you know, she took that really hard. Uh, I, I remember not too much longer, not too much after that in school, you know, there'd be papers they have to write or whatever, um, little assignments. And she would often write about me and you know the, the treatment and the sickness and all that. Um, really? Yeah. W- which is sweet, but really to say that it, it stuck with her significantly. Um, yeah. So, so definitely yeah. a lot of effect there. Um, my parents though, I think, you know, now after the fact, realize every moment matters. Um, I, it's not necessarily that I got a second lease on life, but you know, we've learned to appreciate time that we have time in general. Uh, so I think in that sense, they become more mindful, um, you know, more aware of their relationships, um, you know, with me or others, Mm. um, more aware of, you know, time spent quantity and quality, I think, um, in general. So, you know, though it was unimaginably scary for them, I think on this other end of it, now everything's okay. You know, maybe some good lessons learned, uh, you know, if you want to take a silver lining away from it, which I think there is. Are you still friends today with any of those people you were friends with when you were diagnosed? Yeah. Yeah. A few of them. Um, I mean, life happens and I don't talk to most of them. Um, or, you know, or, you know, get in contact with most of them for the most part, but there are a few that I do still keep in touch with. And it's, I mean, it's, it's part of our relationship, myself and these friends, I, you know, maybe not spoken or explicit, but it's definitely a part of that, um, relationship for sure. Yeah. I ask because, um, my own personal experience aside, I find that when, Someone has had cancer when they're young, especially a teenager, that it either stays with them and continues to inform the, the rest of their lives, relationships, friendships, future, or they just want to forget it ever happened. Yeah. They just don't even want to. And sometimes even their parents don't even want to talk about it. As It's as if we can just pretend that massive, huge, scary thing did not happen in our lives. So I'm always kind of curious to hear. And I think that, well, actually studies show that a a teenager's behavior is more informed by their peer group than it is by their parents. And, and so that's why I was just kind of asking if, you know, you still kept in touch with anybody from, from back then. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, I, I think that most, I think all of the friends I have that I still keep in touch with, they've not been able to, whether they wanted to or not, kind of forget it to lead in the past, I, I think. Right. Um, especially because of, of my leg. It's, um, if I was wearing shorts, the, the scar is huge. Um, and I think there's still some slightly perceptible limp in my gait. So it's, it's really hard to forget because it's never really out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. How big is the scar? It is um, a couple inches above my ankle to about midway up my thigh. So it's, it's got to be pushing two feet. Have you ever told a, a, a wild tale when people ask about the scar? 
Yes, I have. Um, oh, I, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I was kind of guessing, but okay. So tell, give us an example of something you've said when people have asked about the scar. Right. Well, it, it, it only worked in high school, really, a little bit into college before people were like, that's, yeah. there's no way. And I always took it very outlandish just to see. Um, but originally, when I met someone new, shortly afterwards, I said um, that I was uh, exploring through the woods because it was a very rural area and I got attacked by bear. Um, <laughs> so they must have believed you, right? Some I think, people. I think some people did. I think some people did. Oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, and that then is uh, awesome. Yeah, and I think you know, going to college a little bit, I floated it out. I don't know if anyone bought it, but I floated it out that I was swimming <laughs> and it was a shark attack. Oh, that was my next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe less believable, but I tried. I like it. I love that you did that. Yeah. Sometimes it's a great way to just break the ice with oh, people's yeah, humor, right? So just uh -huh. make it the most outlandish that you possibly can. And right. sometimes it's fun just to see what people might believe. Um, often because they don't want to discuss it further, right? Because they well, don't yeah. want to know uh -huh. what really happened. Exactly. Um, okay. So fast forward, what is your life like today that happened basically half a life ago, you're 30 today. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing now? Yeah, it, it both does seem like that long and it doesn't, but uh, right. now uh, I'm a CPA. I'm in accounting and finance. I uh, bought my first house a couple of years ago. I live with my fiance, um, getting married really soon, 60 days. Um, so- Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's awesome. Excited. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Where are you guys getting married? Well, we are currently living in Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania. Okay. So there's this really beautiful uh, gardens. Um, it's this older retired couple. They have this greenhouse set up with all these beautiful gardens, uh, you know, over an acre or two of, of property. Really beautiful, very scenic, very nature, um, just outside the city. So we're going to do that. Um, we're going to go really outdoorsy and scenic with it. Which I'm excited about. Oh wow! Yeah, that sounds nice. And yeah. hopefully, it won't be too hot by then. <laughs> I know it's it's Memorial Day weekend, so it could go either way. Uh, right, it really could go either way. <laughs> yes, yes. We don't know what to expect, but we're very excited. Uh, well, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm I've I've tried to make a you know American dream adult life set up, and so far so good. <laughs> yeah, it's well. No, you're you're doing a great job. So one of the other things I like to ask young men who were diagnosed when they were a teenager, especially, is was there ever a conversation about your fertility? That's actually a really good question. Um, there was a brief conversation about it uh, to which my parents um, became really uncomfortable, as you can imagine, probably. And so, and, and without diving too far into it, you know, they're the, they're the type of parents who would become uncomfortable at that. And that would be kind of the end of the conversation. Um, Got it. so, so that was the end of the conversation. Um, and it, it was, I'll say it was presented in this whirlwind of information that was happening when I was first diagnosed. Um, right. you know, literally I had my diagnosis like on a Thursday and I was in a hospital bed receiving treatment on a Tuesday. So it was all very fast. Yeah. 
so maybe it got lost, but that fact, that potential thing, um, was kind of swept under the rug for better or worse. And so I said, good question, because at you know this very moment, as I'm preparing to get married and start a family, I've, I've just started looking into what those prospects are to start a family, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what that prognosis is, um, and, and more learning, more research, more prognosis to come, initial findings are not great, um, mm -hmm. but what we'll see, but not great. And, and that's all to say, had I been able to do it over again, definitely would have paid more attention or given more gravity to, to that piece of it. Um, so, so I guess that's a long winded way to answer your question that yes, there was an no, effect. No, it's not. What was your worst moment in all of it? Um, I can think of a couple. I think one that will probably always stick with me, um, wasn't necessarily directly impacting me, um, but I made a friend during treatment who had the exact same diagnosis. He was a year or two younger, same exact diagnosis. His tumor was um, on his femur, mine was on my tibia. Um, okay. And he caught his a little later than mine. I caught mine very early. Uh, so, but the timeline worked out where we were in treatment, it synced up pretty exactly. We saw each other all the time. Uh, so fast forward, I enter remission. So does he, a couple months later, he's back in treatment. Uh, and that goes through, he's in remission again, then back in treatment and shortly thereafter passes. Uh, so that was very hard. Uh, it's, it's what was his name? Brandon. Brandon. His name was Brandon. Uh, he was a couple years younger than me. He, mm. um, loved hockey. And I, I remember when you're in treatment like that, you get some celebrity attention sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, where I ended up going to college, actually Michigan state university, the hockey team learned that there was this kid in the local hospital who loved hockey and was going through the treatment and he could use some cheering up. So they you know, went and visited him. And then oh. over the course of a few months, he actually ended up getting close to them. He dropped the puck at center ice in one of their games. Um, went to team dinners all the time. So oh, wow. it was absolutely fantastic for him. Uh, and, and which really being able to see all that and the way people gravitated toward him and the way that, you know, people saw him, how he held on to special places in their heart that made it a lot harder, I think for me, at least, um, to, to lose someone that, you know, I had gotten to know through this process where I needed people in my life. Uh, to lose that, some of my own age that, you know, we played video games in the, I forget what the room was called, you know, the rec room at the hospital. Um, <laughs> so, so that was probably one of the worst moments, even though it wasn't, you know, my worst moment. It, it was not super. Yeah, no, no, that totally makes sense. Let's flip that. What was your best moment? My best moment, well, ringing the bell. Uh, you know, when you're done is definitely significant, but you know, I do remember one day it was near the end of treatment. It was early mid spring and, um, throughout treatment for the most part, you're pooped inside because mostly because, um, compromised immune system, you hardly have one. So cooped inside for almost the entire treatment, but as I'm nearing the end of treatment, 
you know, I'm on all the nurses' good sides. The doctors love me. So uh, I sweet talk my way into going outside. Uh, so, you know, I, I take my EV outside and I'm in a gown and all that. But uh, there's this, the hospital's on the strip of, strip of big road, but it's got this nice landscaping on it and um, lots of planters and um, places to sit, basically. And I, I still remember vividly, it was a beautiful day. It was like mid-70s, sunny, mid-spring. And I was just able to kind of sit out there and enjoy the sun and the smell of the blooms and flowers. And it was such a contrast to, mm -hmm. you know, even 20 minutes prior to that, much less the last year. It was absolutely beautiful. And that was definitely one of the best moments. Oh my gosh. I, I love asking those questions because the answers are not, I think what most people think they're going to be. Yeah, and, sure. and that was just such a, a beautiful answer, like this moment <laughs> in time that has just stuck with you. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And something I think that everybody could learn to appreciate. Um, you know, if you're able to walk outside and feel the sun on your face, then things are going pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you're not cooped up inside and, and, um, and dealing with such a devastating illness, let me ask you this. I know you were young, but is there anything that you wish you had known at the beginning once you got that official diagnosis? Yeah, I, I think, um, going back, if I could beginning or even mid treatment, if I could tell myself anything, I, you know, I would, I would really stress that this is a traumatic event and it's okay for it to affect you. Um, mm. I think what I struggled, not so much necessarily at the time, because I just was naive and didn't even know what was happening, but, you know, not long afterwards and throughout much of my twenties, my young adult life was not really giving myself the permission to view this as a big deal. Um, why? Was, Why do you think that is? I think it was um, naivety or ignorance into generally mental health. You know that that this is that I'm allowed to you know feel, understand, recognize trauma. I'm allowed to feel that that was really hard and that it's affected me now moving forward. Um, yeah. And so you know I, I think that has to do well. This isn't a political podcast, but it has to do with, you know, <laughs> masculinity and the way society, um, yeah. treats illnesses. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, it was a long time before I really let, let the seriousness, the gravity of, of what happened and its lasting effects really settle on me. So that would definitely be something that I wish I could go back and just set the foundation for that. This is a big deal. You should take this seriously but also understand that this will stick with you likely for a long time. And that's okay. Um, yeah. That, that's definitely something I missed. Did, did you get counseling when you were done with treatment? I did not. Um, I, I do now, I do now, which I'm very thankful for. But at the time they offered up, uh, if I'm recalling a kind of a group counseling session with others in similar situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time I thought, well, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> where's their, you know, what 15 year old boy wants to do group counseling? No way. <laughs> you know? So obviously I wish I had, it would have helped probably a lot. Um, right. But, but I didn't, um, yeah, I, I just, teenage boys are kind of the worst. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
so that I, I haven't. Well, I'm glad you get counseling now. And I think we all need counseling at different points in our lives for different things. Like we all do, like we can, we can use that, you know, it's, it's, if, if, if you find the right counselor, I should say, Definitely. um, if you could do anything to change healthcare in the U S Josh, what would it be and why? Uh, well, I think the, the easiest answer for me is, is the cost. Um, okay. and that's a hot button topic everywhere. But I, I, I say that because I distinctly remember my parents had to sign up for, and I'm forgetting the name, but it was this special insurance specifically for mm -hmm. pediatric um, cancer patients, uh, for families with children going through this process. And I, at the time, I didn't ask because I didn't care, but I, and I have no idea how it works now today, but um, it, it made, so the treatments, the surgeries was a fraction of the cost it would have been. And right. the reason that it sticks with me now is that had we not been fortunate enough to have been told of or have found this special insurance, I don't know that we could have afforded it. Um, yeah. it it's hugely expensive. I, I remember when I had my leg replaced, the implant replaced in 2020, um, I had decent insurance, so it wasn't so bad, but you do still get to see the bill before insurance. Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it was, it was uh, six digits. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars just to replace yeah. some metal in my legs. So yeah. you add that in with nine months of treatments and, you know, going for, I had platelet infusions and you get a cold, you go in for a day. Uh, yeah. I just can't fathom how much that could have been. How unreasonable. It's, it's out. Yeah. It's crazy. It really is. Um, okay. All right. So let's have a little bit of fun. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire? I'm ready. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? I have to go with mountains. Um, something about the, the, how the tranquility, the peacefulness of mountains. And it's always just a beautiful landscape, no matter which mountains you're looking at, where you are. It's just, I find them to always be breathtaking. So though I love the beach and the desert is really cool, I can't not pick mountains. They're just too cool. I love it. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? I, I have lots of opinions about this question, um, <laughs> which is fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, to, you can substitute yeah. if you want. No, no. I, I, I pick the Beatles. I think the Beatles the best band my opinion stemmed from the beatles stole a lot of attention from a lot of other deserving bands um mm. that to this day suffer from being overshadowed by the beatles um and i'm a big music snob as a person um <laughs> you'll notice all the chords behind me are all i music, see musical instrument chords um so i'm i'm just the slightest bit bitter that there are i think some other great bands even better bands that got overshadowed whatever the beatles i think were still really great and deserved a lot of the attention so I picked the Beatles. What is one of the bands that you think was overshadowed by the Beatles? I love the Kinks. Oh, okay. I th I yeah. Think they're fantastic. And I think they deserve every bit of attention the Beatles do, personally. Nice. Okay. What is one word that best describes you? I think there's my answer and the answer everyone else might give, especially <laughs> my fiance who knows me best. Um, I, 
think I'd, I'd like to describe myself as with one word, mindful. Um, mm. the reason I say that is, you know, that's a practice that I've tried to integrate in my life for uh, a few years now, but just overarching to be present, to be really thoughtful. Um, in, in some ways I, I extend mindfulness to mean problem solving, critical thinking. Um, I think those are all qualities that I strive to maintain, um, successful or not, but you know, I, I do try to be present and be really cognizant of people and things around me. So, so that's the answer I would give. How about before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Well, hopefully that's in a long time. So my choice could change, but, uh, today the song is called the adults are talking by the strokes. Um, okay. amazing album, amazing song. Uh, it's, it's just on the right side of melancholy, um, still melodic and, uh, just the, for lack of a better term, the vibe, it's just perfect. It's, it's relaxing, but also a little uplifting or a little upbeat. Um, and I think they're great musicians, cool. so can't pick against it. What about the last meal you want to eat? That's a tough one. Uh, I think if I had to pick, I would want a really nice, rich carbonara with some grilled chicken and bacon and mushrooms and peas and this nice, warm pasta bowl, which makes me want to take a nap just thinking about it, but it sounds yeah, fantastic. sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The last person or people you want to see? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see my fiance last, my, hopefully at the time, my wife. Um, you know, she means the world to me and we've spent, we've been together for over seven years now. We spent a lot of time together and I hope that she's the last person I see. And the last words you will speak. Hopefully my last words are, I love you. I think that would be means I probably went out the right way. And aside from cancer, you, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? Um, well, cancer you is, is great. Um, I've done some poking around lately and I, I really like it. Um, one, I'm going to give two if that's okay. Uh, Please, yeah. so American, uh, cancer society obviously is, is well known and they have a lot of helpful resources, surprisingly so. I think, because you, you would assume that they have information, maybe some educational pieces, maybe some resources, but the, the breadth and depth of what they have and, and really all the topics it covers and how thorough the educational pieces are, honestly, I was pretty surprised. So I, I do still like to plug that, even though it's pretty well known. Um, and then the other one, it's somewhat of a resource, but it's called Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. And oh, it's, yeah. It's primary purpose, obviously, is a charity, um, but the outreach they do and the support that they could give, um, I think is really great. I, I love them. Um, if you're in the Philly area, check them out. That's where they're based. They do a lot of local activities, okay. but, but, uh, I know that. yeah, I, I like to mention them too. Just, I think they're really great. And they can, they can yeah. be a resource too. All right. Well, we'll be sure to put those in the show notes. Josh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I, I do like sharing. I think it's cathartic. And I think for me, even it's, it's beneficial. So I'm, I'm always happy. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. 
subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.